This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to a special edition of the Liverpool Blood Red podcast. I'm Ian Doyle, the chief Liverpool writer. A bit bit different this podcast. Basically, uh, you may know I've been out in Qatar looking ahead for the Club World Cup. Uh, I was invited over there by the Supreme Committee, who are the organisers of the Club World Cup, which has been used as a rehearsal for the World Cup in 2022, which is a big deal over there in Qatar. It wasn't just us. Uh, the Echo was joined by journalists from Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, Russia, China, India... England and further afield to take part in a tour of various facilities. Uh, and in this podcast, you'll hear from the man who invented the stadium cooling technology, which Liverpool will experience in December, uh, one of the project managers at a stadium, uh, and a Brazilian journalist who has explained why Flamengo are desperate to play the Reds in the Club World Cup. There's also an interview with the head of the Qatar Club World Cup Organising Committee, who's got a surprise revelation about Liverpool. And you'll also hear about when I visited one of the dozens of labour accommodation camps around the country which housed most of the near 2 million immigrant workers, of which thousands have been working on building the new stadium for the World Cup and the Club World Cup. Before we headed out, though, we spoke to former Liverpool star Jason McAteer, who's been a regular visitor to Qatar for a number of years to gain a better idea of the region. What's the feeling like in the country at the prospect of Liverpool going over there and actually playing? Um, I like. I think it's like anywhere in the world, obviously. I'm, I'm travelling a lot at the moment for the club and dropping in, into Asia. You know, places like China and Singapore. We've been to, obviously to Australia as well for a couple of things. Um, Hong Kong. And then obviously we've we've been over in America for the tour this year. Um, you know, the brand and the football club and, you know, the size of the players and the stature of the players. You know, anywhere in the world, the brand is really strong. Very, very strong. You know, we've got supporters clubs, you know, from all corners of the globe. Um, you know, obviously, there's a there's an expat community in, in Qatar. You know, Qatar's not the it's not the biggest place. It's it's something that's grown obviously since the Vidis, since the independence came around. It's grown and grown. Um, maybe probably because of more of a business stature to begin with, but now, obviously, tourism is playing its part as well. So, you know, there are more people there than you know everyone. You know, the Premier League is so strong, and like I said, the brand is so strong. The Liverpool brand is so strong. So the following over there. You know, probably would be now probably 60-40 in Liverpool's favour over Manchester United, where, you know, probably 10 years ago, five years ago, it was probably even. You know, the brand's got stronger and stronger since Jürgen's been there, since, you know, playing in Champions Leagues, Europa Leagues and winning it last year. The club's just got massive. So, um, so it's very, very, there's a very, very strong following over there. You know, obviously there's a big Indian community, Filipino community. And like I said, an expat community, which, you know, you'd have to say there's a, you know, the majority are all Liverpool fans. I mean, there'll still be a lot of Liverpool fans travelling over there. Uh, what what kind of welcome can they expect? What what should they be looking out for? Well, I feel there's a real misconception of, of Qatar. You know, it's you know it's been under criticism about probably the way the stadiums have been built, and you know, there's always sort of a lingering human rights aspect around the country for one reason or another. But you know, I'd have to say I've. You know, like I've mentioned before, you know, for six or seven years, been going over there and I've thoroughly enjoyed my time every time. I've got friends there now, you know, I know the place inside out. I've seen it grow. You know, the one big thing that stands out for me is it's extremely safe. You know, my family have been over there. I've taken my kids and, you know, they've gone out for dinner without me and there's been no problems. You know, I probably like any growing country, you know, there are problems through maybe travel 
have also over the years that's been addressed you know there's a, a train system a tram system that's gone in now that can get you from one place to the other quite easily the roads have grown you know they've realized they need four lanes instead of two so they quickly put that into place um yeah so you know the, the language barrier i mean i've just been to china and i found it very very difficult communicating um i've never had that problem in china you know everybody sorry in Qatar, everybody seems to you know speak english or is is quite westernized um but like but like any country mate you, you know there is there is culture uh, and you have to respect that and you know as long as that's respected then the, then there's no problem I was going to ask actually about the culture and say, is there any major do's or don'ts that supporters who are thinking of going over there should adhere to? I think like anywhere, I think you have to be very respectful. I mean, you know, if you see people drunk in this country, for instance, you know, it, it's kind of, it is frowned upon, although it's done. So, you know, just, just simple things like that, just, you know, being respectful, um, just watching what you do. Um, you know, I think the, the culture of Qatar, the, the Arabic, the Muslim culture is, you know, I, th- I think going out, obviously you have to be, you know, you dress, you know, for, for certainly for, for women, you know, I think the culture is a little bit, a little bit different than what it is for men. Um, but just not abusing certain situations, you know, obviously the people want you to have a great time there. The organizers want you to have, to have a good time there. There'll be um, fan zones that will be specifically placed around around Doha um, I think Education City which is where the ground is there's a golf course there um, a fabulous facility I think they're going to use that for a, a fan zone they talk about a 5,000 um, head fan zone which can be can be used there so you know there, there are other places to go hotels you know will be um, putting on entertainment I'm sure so yeah I think just being respectful of, of the Muslim culture and, and just taking it easy when it comes to maybe alcohol and you know just making sure that you know that the sun over there is pretty strong it's it's hot so like like anywhere when you go on holiday mate you just you know you don't get you don't sort of abuse it you just take it easy don't you so and i, and I think that's that's how it is with Qatar. can you understand why some fans are a little bit skeptical from some of the things that they've heard or is it is it a sense of the the unknown for a lot of people because not many people would have, would have been to qatar before Exactly. I mean, it's not, you know, Dubai, everyone seems to know about Dubai, isn't it? Because everybody goes there and it's a country that's been growing and it's probably based more on tourism than culture. Um, so, you know, there's a there's a big outlook to, to Dubai as the place to go. And like I mentioned before, right, you know, people probably five years ago wouldn't have thought Qatar as a holiday destination, but it does have so much to offer now. It is a country that's grown and it's, you know, there's everything there from cultural activities to, to more westernized activities. Um, yeah, and I, and I do think there's a preperception of it because of what you read, you know, from political things that are going on that maybe you wouldn't want to go there. But I, you know, I've found it no problem. I've always found it loads to do, whether it's from a sporting aspect. Um, but I can understand why, you know, it's mud sticks, doesn't it? And, you know, there's been a lot of mud thrown at Qatar whether it's to do with the World Cup or whether it's, like I said before, whether it's to do with human rights and certain things. You know, human rights are actually based out there. So they, they, are, they are watching like anywhere else. They are, they are watching and making sure that everything is above board there and, and everything's moving smoothly. So, you know, I, I do think it gets, a, it gets a bad name sometimes and it's unjust. Are the people there, are they aware of the image that's portrayed of them from overseas? Yeah, very much so. 
very much so. And you know, they're trying to they're trying to change that perception. I mean, you've seen the athletics there. I mean, England have played over there. They offer great facilities when it comes to medical science. Um, you know, a lot of players go over there. Manchester United have done pre-season there. So, you know, there's there's so much there that people don't know about that they really haven't pushed out there and, and let people know. Um, but like I said, you know, we've seen the athletics there. It was a fantastic occasion. Yeah, there was a, it was slow in the beginning, but any tournament is can be quite slow when it's qualifying rounds and stuff. But as soon as the, the finals were there and the big names turned up, then the stadiums were full. So, oh, the stadium was full. So, yeah, it, it, it is difficult. It is difficult to to sort of put put to bed the sort of the myth or the bad publicity. And um, I, I often think as well, people, bad news travels faster than good news, doesn't it? Or, you know, and I, and I do think, and I do think they are very aware of that and they are trying to put it right. But, they can only do it in a certain way and, and I think people have got to sit up and take note of, of when Qatar are actually doing something that it is more successful than not and um, you know as, as you know the time goes on now they've got the Club World Cup coming up um, you know gearing up to the World Cup in 2020 the events there there'll be a lot more events there um, and I think that I think the publicity will be a lot better in the next coming in the next certainly the next six months there's no questions about the organisation of it. I mean, people are expecting it to be very well organised. What have you seen so far in terms of that? Obviously, the stadium's going up. Um, there was big question marks, you know, when Qatar won the bid and got the World Cup in, in 2022. That you know, the infrastructure wasn't wasn't quite there, or certainly wasn't there, um, and whether they could prepare the tournament and get it ready for for a spectacle that they're quite used to when it comes to Euros and World Cups, and you know, obviously. Being there, I've seen, the, I've been to the stadiums. Uh, they're certainly the ones that are finished. Um, they're amazing. You know, they, they, they're actually going to be taking some of the stadiums down and, and shipping them out um, into African countries. Is, is the shout at the minute, and then rebuilding them, helping helping the infrastructure in, in countries that need things like that. So that's great. Um, obviously, the air conditioning, the science that have gone into things um, to help with the heat and the weather. You know that was that was great to see, um, but just how they're going to manage the World Cup. Obviously, it's going to be completely different from, say, the, the Brazilian World Cup because it's so spaced out over the country. Doha is is not very big, but the the opportunity to go and watch two games in two days in in one day, sorry, is is an attraction. You know, you can get from the, the, the two furthest places away are, are only a, a two hour train ride, so you can actually go and watch both games in the same day. The hotels, you know, they're as good as any hotel in the world that I've been to. Um, the hospitality that you'll find. Um, yeah, obviously the big question marks is, is can we drink over it in Qatar? Is that going to be accessible? Uh, and it is. You know, you can you go to the hotels, there's bars there. Like I said, they've got the fan zones that they're preparing and, and what they're going to do for the fans. You know, I'm sure it'll be accessible there as well. Um so yeah, so it's going to offer so much, and the skyline is, you know, is one of the best in the world. They'll be using the buildings, I'm sure, um, the way they'll light things up, and and what you'll do. The food, you know, there's there's all kinds of foods there, you know, from Nando's to McDonald's to, you know, to really nice restaurants if you want to take the wife out. Spoiler. So uh, there's, there's there's lots there's lots to do. There's lots on offer, and um, you know the preconception that you can't get a drink and. You know that the foods over there is terrible. is is a misconception. I mean, in terms of the actual the actual players, uh, you mentioned the temperature before. There's not going to be any concerns yeah. over what the temperature is going to be like when they're playing the actual games. 
absolutely not. I mean, you know what people forget, mate, is, you know, I played in, in America in 94 and it was nearly 120 degrees in, in Florida. Um, you know, no one even mentioned the weather. It wasn't even a concern when we traveled over there that it needs to be looked at and we need to be watched as players or fans, the concern of fans. You know, no one even mentioned it. You know, the weather in December in Qatar is perfect. It's the perfect time of year to hold a tournament. Um, you know, at night time, it gets a little bit chilly, but, you know, if, if they need to, they've got the air condition inside the stadium. Um, you know, Mexico, Brazil, all these World Cups that have been held in these countries where the weather is 120 degrees, it's no different in Qatar. It's no different. Maybe in June, July, and, and possibly August, if they were holding a the tournament then, then, you know, I can maybe understand that um, there might be a concern for safety from fans and players' perspectives. But in December, it, it's the perfect time of year to host anything. Well, as well as visiting Qatar for the first time, Liverpool will break further new ground when they play games in a fully air-conditioned stadium. Uh, Dr. Saud Abdul Aziz Abdul Ghani, popularly known, fortunately, uh, known locally as Dr. Cool, is the uh, man behind the scheme. He helped invent the cooling technology, which will be used in all the stadiums. The idea is that the fans in the stands and the players on the pitch will be cooled to a temperature that can be regulated. And at the time, they were suggesting that the temperature would be 18.8 degrees. I mean, we saw an example of it, and it definitely does work. Um, anybody wondering about the how they actually are able to power all of this? It uses 80% less energy than the cooling of a building of a similar size, basically because they don't need to cool all of the area inside. They just need to cool the areas that need to be cooled, which is the... Pitch and the seats in the stands, you know, I think the in the demonstration they showed us that if you went two metres up the air, there would be like 30, whatever the, basically whatever the temperature is outside. So it definitely does work. We were able to experience that. We even managed to go down to pitch side itself and onto the pitch where the uh, cooling technology ensured the temperature of the air was significantly cooler than outside. If you actually stand pitch side, you can actually feel the breeze from the air conditioning outlets. But if you actually, again, a little bit further towards the pitch, you can't really feel any breeze. You just feel actually cool in temperature. So it's not going to affect, you know, the dynamics or the physics of the ball. Anyway, that's enough about me going on about it. Dr. Cool tells us more. We hope that this technology will not only uh, football as a sport, but uh, uh, athletics as, uh, as a whole. You know, um, you, you see a lot of people, they, they suffer on the track because of heat stress. Uh, we, we don't want to see that anymore. We want people to, to really enjoy uh, competing. And we saw that in the IAF uh, last, uh, last month in Doha. The whole country was behind the bid. Qatar University is, is part, of, uh, part of that as well. And we were very proud when we won, we won uh, the, uh, the right to organize the 2022. We started with the design to make sure that, you know, nobody, even designers, we have designers from all over. We have engineers from all over, but nobody designed a, an air-conditioned stadium before. So even for our designers, it was a learning curve for them. No other place in the world except in Qatar, we have a set stadium, Jassim bin Hamad is a small stadium. This was air-cooled. Uh, to my mind, Singapore National uh, National Stadium, they try to do cooling, but, you know, in a, in, a, in a different way. But this is the fully functional stadium. This is the word first. Now, this cooling technology might sound all well and good, and a little bit science fiction, but what will be of greater concern to Liverpool fans considering a trip to Qatar is what the country itself is actually like. Now, I must admit, it was my first trip out there, my first trip to the Middle East. Uh, it was a little bit different to what I was expecting. Uh, one of the things was that it did actually come across as, certainly in Doha, where I was staying, that region, as uh, <clears throat> quite uh, very safe. There didn't seem to be much crime. You didn't feel ill at ease walking around. Uh, and it's actually, Qatar is considered 
uh, one of the safest countries in the region and is in the top 20 globally, according to statistics. Uh, as I say, from my time there, it was clean, relatively quiet, and although the uh, majority of its population is made up of foreign workers, basically, I mean, the numbers are of the 2.6 million population, less than 350,000 are actually Qatari nationals. And you can tell which ones they are because they are the ones that were traditional Qatari dress. Uh, everybody else is just you know dressed as what we'd regard as being you know normally jeans, you know, suits, whatever. Um, so you can always tell which ones are the locals and which ones aren't. Now, obviously, football fans being football fans, there has been a... a, it's a Qatar is an Islamic country, and the big question for many of the travelling supporters who are thinking of going over there is that of whether or not they can drink alcohol. Now, unlike some other countries around the region, Qatar is not a dry country. However, there is only one shop in the whole of Qatar that sells alcohol, and you actually need a licence to buy things from it, so any fans, you'll not be able to do that. And while it's true that there are no bars or pubs as such, there are bars in most of the hotels, of which there are many, certainly in Doha, so if you absolutely definitely want a drink, you'll be able to get one. And there's also, there's going to be fan parks there, we were told. So, as I say, if you want a drink, you will be able to get one. In terms of accommodation then, uh, there, as I say, there are plenty of hotels in Doha. They're not massively expensive. A lot of them are four or five stars, so you do have to pay a fair bit, but not as much as you probably would do elsewhere. The only problem they've got is... There is a bit of a lack of budget hotels, which is something that I think they're looking to address for the World Cup. I don't think that's something that's going to be done in time for the Club World Cup. Travel-wise, anybody thinking of going out there, there are flights direct from Manchester um, to Doha Airport. uh, And I must admit, the airport at Doha is very extremely to negotiate, certainly when compared to Manchester. Anybody who's been to Manchester Airport recently will know what I'm talking about. It's worth noting that there's no real public transport in, uh, in Doha, or in fact Qatar in general, apart from, uh, uh, say, the tram line and new metro, which has only just started to be opening up. But Ubers are available, and it, it's strange in the fact that also there's not a lot of... People don't tend to walk around very much. Uh, you know, there's not many pavements as such. Uh, most people just drive, so it's probably anybody thinking of getting around Doha, a taxi's probably the best way to go. Uh, the weather shouldn't be a major concern because Qatar's approaching winter, when we went, which was in the third week of November, uh, the temperature was up to 29 degrees during the day, uh, down to 21 during the evening, which was fairly pleasant. Um, it was about dark by about half five, and considering that Liverpool's games will both kick off at half past eight local time, there's not going to be any issues with the sun or anything like that, or, or the fans. It'll be even cooler as well when the Liverpool visit in uh, December. In fact, there's actually some suggestion that the bigger worry could be the rain. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Now, another concern and perhaps the major one for many Liverpool fans going out there or thinking of going out to Qatar is the country's record with human rights. Now, like many countries around the region, the country relies heavily on migrant workers, whether that's in construction or services, and houses many of them in labour accommodation camps, which are something that are a bit alien to the Western world. Um, I mean, I was invited to one of them, one called Challenger City, uh, during my time in Qatar. Uh, It's regarded as one of the flagship accommodation camps housing 6,000 workers, and it's actually regulated by the Supreme Committee, who are the organisers both of the World Cup and the Club World Cup. Uh, and it was interesting because when we went there, myself and another, another journalist, there weren't many people around because most of them were at work. There were some who were sleeping because uh, they were on their uh, they work in night shifts. So it was quiet. It wasn't exactly representative of how the hustle and bustle of what it would be like normally, say, during an evening. As I say, they host 6,000 workers. And the thing is... While we were given a tour and we were you know, fairly impressed with the facilities that were on sh- 
free facilities as well that were there for the workers, such as a gym, a barbers, laundry, sports facilities, and and outside sports facilities as well. And I think there was a games room and internet and all of that, as well as the fact that the food they get three free meals a day, including a packed lunch for those who are going to work. If when we came to the accommodation, it was a bit of an eye opener. Uh, basically, the housed in what are called blocks, and it looks just like prefabricated buildings. Uh, were three hundred, I think it was three hundred and twenty people to a block, and the living space, actual individual living space, is very small, which is six meters squared, uh, which is just enough room for a single bed, a few powerpoints, a table, a lamp, and a cabinet, and they were only sectioned off by curtains. And to give you an idea of that, I think the minimum regulation for a prison cell in, in the United Kingdom is bigger than that. Now, obviously, these aren't prisons because they're allowed to move freely. That wasn't always the case uh, in Qatar and, and other countries um, because of a certain s- sponsorship uh, system that they used to use where basically when migrant workers would go over to Qatar, uh, they would have to have a sponsor. Usually that would be their employer. And the more unscrupulous employers would then you know, basically take the passports and ensure that they can't actually leave until they do the job that they want. And it, it led to many workers regarding their employers as the owners. Now, that's changed by law in Qatar uh, recently. Uh, I mean, the problem that they've got is enforcement of that law, which they've admitted has been a bit of an issue, uh, with the actual World Cup-related uh, accommodation camps, the ones that are affiliated to the Supreme Committee, they're regulated quite strongly, uh, and that's that's fine in that sense. But that's not always the case uh, with some of the other ones, and that's been the issue. You know, going going forward, that's something that they're going to have to look at. And which you know, the likes of Amnesty International, they're very much on top, and I want to see uh, conditions improve. Now, as I say, not every campus is accommodating, and and as some of those who we sp- some of the workers who we spoke to in Challenger City confirmed. And for, as I say, for us in England, that such camps exist is is concerning because. It's, it's something that's totally alien to us, but it's in fact common practice in the Middle East and this clash of cultures is probably something that will never be resolved. I don't think anybody who sees, you know, we're going to do a story on the Echo about it, about our time inside there and I think some of the pictures, we won't quite get the heads around how people can live like that, but, you know, as somebody else said to us who's been to some of the other camps, they said, you've got to bear in mind that for some of these workers, this, these are better conditions than back home. The other thing is that they don't get paid an awful lot of money. I think it's roughly about £150 a month. Now, the thing about that is that that almost always gets sent back to the families at home because everything is paid for during the time in uh, in Qatar working. Again, that's usually with the World Cup-related ones. That's what they enforce, not the same with the other ones. And again, this is something that Qatar are, are looking at. I mean, the super, the, the, obviously the question's then about the deaths at the construction Sites and the Supreme Committee confirmed eleven people died at the World at World Cup related sites last year, but an independent report commissioned by the Guardian actually I think it was last month claimed hundreds may have died through heat stress. Where given that temperatures reach forty five degrees in the summer and above, and there are rules in place whereby uh, workers are not allowed to to work in unshaded areas between say about the hours of eleven and three during the summer. Okay, they shift a little bit depending on when the hottest time of the day is, but it's still hot either side of that. So it is very, very difficult. And while there have been improvements in, in working standards and workers' rights, mainly due to the spotlight placed on the country by the World Cup, much more needs to be done, if we're being honest. Although having said that, Qatar is regarded as the most progressive country in the region. And if the likes of Liverpool going over there or the World Cup taking place, 
means that conditions improve and there's greater worker rights, then that, that can only be a plus. I mean, whether or not the competition should be over there in the first place is something that many people will not agree with. Now, one of the stadiums we visited as part of our tour in Qatar, uh, we visited, it was one called the Al Bayt Stadium, which is roughly 30 miles from Doha. Uh, Liverpool won't be playing there, but it is a World Cup venue, and the project manager at the stadium, Mohamed Ahmed, has spoken about the wow factor the organisers want from all eight stadiums. That's what we have done to our nation here. That's what we aim, is to uh, uh, create something that make us unique, help the, uh, the world to enjoy when they come in 2022. Uh, we are working very hard to make it useful, make it a unique, to make everybody happy and enjoying having, visiting this country, uh, coming to the stadium. This is our aim, is to make something unique for our country and for the world. Of course, Liverpool aren't the only team are going to be in the Club World Cup. The Reds are going to be joined by teams from Mexico, Tunisia, New Caledonia and Qatar. And Flamengo are the only team from Rio to win the Club World Cup. And of course, they beat Liverpool 3-0 in 1981 in Tokyo, which is regarded as the most famous moment in the club's long history. And the possibility, as I say, of facing Liverpool again. Uh, Bruno Mourinho of O Globo in Brazil explains more. At Rio de Janeiro, we have four traditional teams and only Flamengo has the chance to win the World Cup. And this is meaning a lot to people in Brazil are passionate about football, about uh, uh, make fun to the other, uh, 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 to the neighbor, to the family that sponsor, that are friends for a different, uh, different club. And Flamengo always had this, how can I say, this, 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 this different, this thing different from the other teams, you know. And, and it's even special because it was the main uh, trophy, the main uh, conquest of the best Flamengo of all time. You know, they had an amazing team. Uh, the greatest player of that team was Zico, but they also had uh, the left back Junior, the right back Leandro. They were amazing players uh, in the middle field. Adilio Nunes. So. It, it was a generation that players created a format on Flamengo that they step and another step until the top of the world. So it means a lot to Flamengo. And for some, I don't know, trick of destiny, we, they had a chance to face again Liverpool in a new uh, World Cup final. So it means a lot to them. In the end, they are looking for Liverpool a lot. <laughs> now, now, Liverpool obviously have got three Brazilians <clears throat> playing for them. Uh, Alisson Becker, Fabinho and Roberto Firmino. I mean, what's the view from Brazil of those players and of Liverpool itself, the team? Well, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, the, the three, they both, they, they are, they three. They, they take a, a little bit time to become, a, 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 how can I say... Uh, something uh, that Brazilian recognize, you yeah. know, as a good player. As Alisson, for example, he used to play for International, International at Brazil. It's a, a team outside the two biggest cities in Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, São Paulo, it's from a different city, and they move too too early to Rome to play at Rome, and because of that, many Brazilian fans d- doesn't have a, you know. 
Them, but them don't take like yeah. too yeah. much credit yeah. on him, you know. They think that they are not good enough to to be on that position, but I think all the 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 way he make on, at Liverpool until up to now, I think they, they he could change his uh, his idea, people's idea. He made a, a good World Cup too at Russia, so I think now he he's considered the best goalkeeper in the world. Uh, including in Brazil at his home. Uh, Fabinho is almost the same thing. He played for, I don't know, only one year at Fluminense, at Rio de Janeiro, and then he moved to Europe to play in uh, small teams until he got, uh, to, uh, until he got, he got in Monaco, he made a, a good job and moved to Liverpool. And uh, the, 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 the European title, Uh, gave to him uh, a, a little bit, a little bit more of recognition, recognition, you know, of Brazilian fans. And Firmino is the same thing. Firmino never played in a, in a traditional team in Brazil. You know, he left Brazil pretty early to play at Germany. And when Dunga, Dunga was the first uh, a manager that uh, called him to Brazilian national team. People start to ask, "Oh my God, who is this guy? You know, where he came from? Uh, he's nobody, you know." Uh, and then it take a long time to 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 got his value. But I think in case of Firmino, there are some people still that not consider him so good as a forward as I think they people think in England and in in Europe in general. Now, Hassan Al-Thawadi is the Secretary General of the Supreme Committee, uh, the organiser of the competition, and he uh, spoke to several journalists, including the Echo, during a roundtable discussion ahead of the uh, Club World Cup while we were in Qatar. He also confirmed Liverpool can expect some high-level support in December. I, I believe that you're a Liverpool fan. Yes, I am. How, how excited <laughs> are you to have the Liverpool come to your country? Oh, very, very excited. I mean, look, it's... it's, it's, uh, it's a, I mean... The way I see it is this, and, and you know, I have to seem, uh, I have to be neutral to a certain extent. But uh, there's, there's no doubts, you know, Liverpool winning the Champions League, you know, the team playing as they are right now, um, great football, but more importantly, I think the spirit of Liverpool is still alive. Um, you can see it in the management, you can see it in the fans, you can see it in everywhere else. So being, you know, being host to Liverpool, I think it's the first time, well, the first time in many, many years that Liverpool comes to the Middle East as well. Um, and you know, all you need to do is also see the following of the fans here, the Liverpool fans over here that are excited in, in hosting Liverpool, whether it's in Qatar or even within the region. And I'm talking about, you know, I mean, even, even including, for example, Indonesian fans and so on that, that are excited about this and, and Thai fans and so on. So it's, it's a great moment, it really is. Do you think Liverpool fans who are going to come from England, they'll be a bit surprised by the strength of feeling towards the club? I hope so. I hope they'll be pleasantly surprised, no doubts. I mean, look, I think, I think what would they be surprised about first and foremost is because a lot of people aren't aware that we're a footballing nation. People still don't know that we really are truly a footballing nation that loves football and is, is passionate about it and crazy about it. So I think that, from, you know, to start off with, people will be pleasantly surprised about that. And then, of course, Liverpool fans in particular will realize, uh, you know, the huge following that they have. But it's not just, I think, Liverpool. You, you know, also, Flamengo, you've got huge followings here as well. Uh, you know, Monterrey, you've got fans that support Monterrey as well. Uh, you know, uh, Taraji from Tunisia has got a huge following as well. I mean, so I think what fans will, will hopefully experience is a football nation just excited and welcoming, uh, you know, their football brethren. Uh, do you have any favorite final for the 
A final? No, yeah. don't, don't, don't put that in my... Don't, don't put me in that situation. I'm always very... I've already said too much saying I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm always very careful about that. <laughs> yeah. oh, don't open that door to... <laughs> Ultimately, I'll say I hope Al-Said gets to the final, you know? But uh, let's, let's leave it at that. That's the safest uh, call. Mohamed Salah, obviously, yes. he is an icon in this region. Um, he's, he seems a huge force for good in the Middle East. And obviously in this age where football fans look at individuals rather than teams, how important is it that you've arguably got one of the greatest Arabic footballers uh, coming to Qatar and playing in the Club World Cup for Liverpool? No, there's no doubt Mohamed Salah has a huge following and, and definitely it's a great moment for us, uh, for him to come. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of fans all over the Arab world and definitely having Mohamed Salah over here is, 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 you know, a lot of people are very excited. A lot of people became Liverpool fans. Uh, you know, if Liverpool was not their first team, if Liverpool ended up becoming their second team as a result of Mohamed Salah, no doubts about that. Uh, but I'd like to point out maybe something over here because it was mentioned, I think, in, in passing in one of the stories. And I wanted to kind of just uh, address that issue of Mohamed Salah because there was the issue of, you know, not politicizing, you know, the, the story came out, not politicizing Mohamed Salah and somebody came and said, you know, his highness uh, will not meet him or so, something of the sort. I can't remember exactly the story, yeah. but they referred to that. And I just wanted to, you know, I, th I think it's very important to point out the state of Qatar never politicized yeah. a sporting event or a sporting uh, uh, person. We've never done that, yeah. plain and simple. Uh, you know, if we were going to do it, you know, obviously everybody knows that we own PSG and we've got, you know, some of the best players in the world also playing in PSG. And we've never actually ever done that. And we've ever, never ever utilized them in that sense, in that way. So I uh, just wanted to point, just to kind of address that because I find that very... Um, it was, I think, very ill-informed, kind of strange uh, comment to come out. What, what would you regard as being a, a good club World Cup besides Liverpool winning? <laughs> <laughs> well, besides that, obviously, uh, I think one, uh, you know, fans from you know all the different teams getting a great having a great experience. Um, feedback, I think, is very, very important for us. We want to learn. You know, it, it won't be it won't be perfect. It'll be hopefully a great experience. But with every great experience, there's always going to be uh, a learning curve over there. And we want, to, we want that, those issues to kind of pan out, um, especially seeing as it's a, it's a lead up to the 2022 World Cup. So we want to learn a lot more. Um, definitely, as I said, the fan experience is ultimately what's, 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 what's important. Um, you know, you've seen, again, you know, you, you've seen Monterey fans obviously want to ride camels. You know, from the, from the little video that's gone out there. So we definitely want them to have a great desert experience. We want to offer them that. Um, I think, generally speaking, uh, a great experience inside the stadium, a great experience outside the stadium. Uh, you already talked a little bit about this, about the, the cultural issue, right, between people from Qatari people and people that come from yes. abroad. Uh, do you have any, any idea how it's going to happen, uh, this, this uh, the situation between two different cultures in the same place uh, for a short period of time. What do you think about it? Look, I mean, I think, again, up until the day it happens, yeah. you'll never be able to say, right? We can put all the plans, uh, and then until the day it happens and you start implementing the plans, then you're going to be able to really get a feel for it. But, I mean, you know, we have now, for example, you know, fans coming in from five continents or six continents or confederations. Um, you know, very passionate fans, very uh, um, uh, excited fans to come. This is going to be the first experience that we're going to see. I personally think, you know, while there are cultural differences, 
you know, our engagement with the fans, whether it was in Monterrey, whether it was, you know, we still haven't engaged with Common Bowl just yet fully, uh, but even with Liverpool, with Taraji, you know, the first thing that all the fans say is just tell us, you know, explain to us exactly what, educate us about your culture. And that's what we're trying to do, educate about the culture. And at the same time, from our side, we're educating ourselves with the other, you know, with the other cultures as well. So it's always going to end up becoming somewhere in the middle. Right. This is a different culture, and this is a different culture coming in. But on the day of the tournament, when people are you know, having fun and so on, provided we've opened that line of communication, we've educated each other, I think there's going to be a spirit of fun, a spirit of excitement, um, a spirit of celebration. Um, you know, there might be some differences here and there, but I think all of us you know, are, are, are going to be um, you know, open to the differences and accepting part of the differences, of course, from both sides, from all different sides. Uh, and provided, I think, you know, we communicate well and provided we have a great relationship, I think, you know, um, we help each other. We help each other in terms of bridging that gap, a cultural gap, which, you know, people look at it sometimes in a very negative way, you know, but what if this happens? What if that happens? What if that happens? Yes, but, you know, you can always look at it that way, but you can also look at it in a very positive way, right? You know, it's an opportunity for people here to experience the Brazilian culture. You know, it's, 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 for some, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You know, that's, that's what we want to take about it as well. That mixing of cultures and that, that exposure uh, can be a very, very enriching, fantastic experience as well and leave beautiful memories. So I think that's what we're trying to focus on. That's what we, we want to bring on board. And that's it. If you're thinking of going out to Qatar, then hopefully this will have helped make your mind up. And if you're already heading out to Doha, then perhaps this could help prepare for the trip. Uh, one thing is for certain, though, Liverpool will have never known anything quite like this. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.